Good evening. You are listening to Sound On Sight. Now, uh, this is going to be our special on writer-director Richard Kelly, who hasn't been around too long, but his three features have all been the subject of somewhat intense debate. Is Donnie Darko the great sci-fi fable of the 2000s or a teen angst pretension pit? Is Southland Tales, as the Village Voice's Jay Hopperman contends, a visionary film or creative control gone horribly wrong? And is his latest, The Box, an incomprehensible sci-fi mishmash or a return to form? Myself, Mariko, and Al attempt to answer all these questions without falling into any sort of aquatic time portal. We need to adapt to the market. So the hell with uh, documentaries, uh, oldies, cult movies. We need to simplify. Played once, Sam. For all time's sake. I want you to get up now. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. Can you hear this? Do you want me to turn it up? You gotta understand something here. That without this, life would be meaningless. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We are tonight's entertainment. I believe in America justice stay tuned because this is a hard harry reminding you to eat your cereal with a fork and do your homework in the dark the boulevard of broken dreams all right mr demille i'm ready for my close-up oh have i got your Good evening. You are listening to Sound on Sight. It's your weekly dose of film talk here on CJLO. My name is Simon. To my right. I'm actress Mila Jovovic. Tonight I will be portraying film critic Marika McDonald. And uh, to Mila's right. I'm Al. I don't really have anything to follow that up with. No, you're just Al. <laughs> yeah. It's all right. So we it's, we, uh, we took a, a week off last week and, and it's been, it's been nothing but problems the last couple of weeks. It's been a turmoil of many kinds, and uh, and Al, I believe that you had some sort of uh, embarrassing injury you'd like to tell us about. Uh, no, it was not a, I just have a pinched nerve in my neck. It's not necessarily embarrassing. It just reveals the fact that I'm actually 78 years old. Yeah, that I is got it from, I got it from rough, sleeping. Eh? How is that possible? You got it from I'm, sleeping? I woke up at like 4 in the morning with like Im- immobile. So this has nothing... That to... actually happened to me last year. Really? So yeah. it has nothing... Like, I, I thought it was kind of depressing because it's like apparently the most well, activity I, I, I get Well, I am older than you, so... Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> so so this... I'm about 79, yeah. I guess. So this has nothing to do with your quest for auto fellatio? Uh, no, it does not, nor my frequent forays to truck stops in the eighth floor of the hall building. <laughs> Good. <laughs> so this is our uh, this is our Richard Kelly special. I've actually been looking forward to this for a while, but that's because I, I I actually like Richard Kelly. I don't think I don't know if that's going to extend to all of us in the over the course of the hour, but uh, we'll see. So we're going to go in chronological order if that suits everyone, and uh, that starts with a little movie from two thousand one called uh, Donnie Darko, which is the film that introduced most of us to the siblings Gyllenhaal. Uh, in this film, Richard uh, Kelly presents a nineteen eighties America of the mind. It stars uh, Jake Gyllenhaal as the titular awkward teen whose bedroom is crushed by a jet engine one night as he is led outside by a giant bunny who appears in his dreams. Following this, self-sane bunny warns Donnie that the world will end a few days later on Halloween night. Also involved, Watership Down, Graham Greene, Smurfs, Tears for Fears, Patrick Swayze, and Christina Applegate. It was as though this plan had been with him all his life, pondered through the seasons, now, in his 15th year, crystallized with the pain of puberty. Oh, 
So, why'd you move here? My mom had to get a restraining order against my stepdad. He has emotional problems. Oh, I have those too. What kind of emotional problems does your dad have? I met a new friend. Real or imaginary? Tony. Imaginary. I'm going to tell you a little story today about a young man whose life was completely destroyed by these instruments of fear. I haven't seen stuff. Donnie is experiencing what is commonly called a daylight hallucination. <laughs> I have to obey him. He saved my life. Have you ever seen a portal? Has he ever told you about his friend Frank, the giant bunny rabbit? The what? Like every living thing follows along set path, and... If you could see your path or channel, then you could see into the future, right? I'm not going to be able to continue this conversation. Don't worry. You got away with it. What is going to happen? I only have a few days left before they catch me. gonna stop you should already know that that was the trailer for richard kelly's debut feature donnie darko which we're about to talk about now uh for the purposes of the review did either of you uh for this particular viewing watch the director's cut or the original version I, I watched, watched the original version having just recently seen the director's cut okay mariko did you watch the original i will watch the original this time um i actually saw the director's cut on a midnight screening in seattle we were actually there specifically to see it um but i actually prefer the original i, th- I, have to I say. think everybody does yeah. so let's i think for the purposes of this review let's pretend the director's cut doesn't exist which seems antithetical because we're doing a director special but such is life uh so mariko uh we've we've discussed this elsewhere but obviously this is one of the big major cult movies of the new decade uh do you feel like i mean it's been almost a decade since it came out do you do you think it still holds up i think it does um i don't know i i mean it would be really easy to hate on this film it's not a perfect movie by any stretch of the imagination um you know and for me and for a lot of people my age and probably younger it does hold a lot of nostalgia harkens back to a time when I saw it for the first time, you know, with friends and it was this cult thing that, you know, it was kind of our generation that kind of pushed it into being a cult film. So I, I do have a, an attachment to it. it. The movie reminds you of the time that you watched it, you, the, the time it, you it, saw it, the, it, the movie. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because it's, <laughs> it's a film that contains a lot of nostalgia. It is a period piece set in the mm-hmm. late eighties, but at the same time, I, I have a lot of nostalgia for it as well for the time that it, you know, when I was watching the friends that I had who were into it and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But it, it's funny, the, 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 there are other movies from the same period that don't really evoke that feeling. Like, I, I, I can't think of another movie from 2001 that I'm nostalgic for. Yeah, I think, you know, because this was sort of this misunderstood movie that, you know, got dumped at theaters and went straight to DVD and people really had to find it on their own and there wasn't you know the whole notion of um you know these guerrilla marketing campaigns and 
forcing you to to think that something's a cult movie, you know, calling something a cult movie before it's even been released. And and so I, I think that this did actually build its cult legitimately. Mm-hmm. Al, your thoughts? Well, I, when I saw this movie, uh, I, back in around, uh, I had friends at one point uh, of my life a long time ago. <laughs> but uh, at that point, we would, every week we would get together and we rent a bad movie on purpose. And uh, like the, whatever the, the crappiest movie we could find in the new release wall. And on two occasions, we accidentally rented movies that turned out to be good. And and this was one of them. Uh, we we Donnie Dark we saw Donnie Darko looked terrible. Uh, it had uh, some sort of horrible like Rob Zombie Mutant bunny on the rabbit, cover. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, and it it was actually uh, pretty good, especially compared to to what we expected it right. to be. Um, and uh, watching it again, it actually gets better and better every time I see it. But I think I think that's actually a perfect metaphor for Richard Kelly. I think this is accidentally a good movie mm-hmm. seen in the context of other stuff. It's like it's not he didn't do it again <laughs> which is which is funny because everything about the movie is is very deliberate it seems so deliberate it seems so but then watching the, like watching the context of southland tales in the box it seems like in this case he was i feel like he was like throwing up like ketamine and he accidentally got some on like an hg wells book and it ended up being awesome mm-hmm. but the, well the ketamine i landed on other stuff in his other movies i also think that this well. is one of those situations where a limitations as far as budget and shooting time actually forced the director to make a tighter film than what they wanted to yeah, and, an and it ends up working <laughs> you know it ends up working much better than mm-hmm. what he probably would have done if left to his own devices as demonstrated by the director's cut which mm-hmm. where really the ketamine just... has fully permeated the hg wells yeah and, and there's not actually slowed down nonsense well, a lot of extra footage if you've seen your the original film and watched the the special features it's yeah. basically just those inserted into the film mm-hmm. in ways that just completely make it drag out for much longer than it really needs to well actually you brought up the ketamine idea again but actually i, th- I think the the director's cut is less uh less psychedelic or less sort of drug influence because it actually takes the time to explain everything for you yeah that's the thing it, it's it is it is more there's more clarity to it and it's more linear uh, but it is it's it's still ketamine because it's drawn out and like yeah, yeah. it's so like, slow motion and mm-hmm. and long and boring. Mm-hmm. It's it's hard for me to be objective on this movie because this was like I'm 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 younger than you guys. I I haven't had any pinched nerves yet, and uh, I first saw this movie when I was in high school, and so of course uh, when this came out, there was a certain segment of high schoolers who were just freaking out about it, like they were like they discovered something amazing and. Uh, and so I saw it and, I, and it was, it was a formative movie watching experience for me because it was one of the first sort of, uh, small audience films that I saw and, and, and got into. And, uh, even now when I watch it, I, I, yes, I'm it's nostalgic. a gateway film. It's a gateway film. Yes. And this is actually something that, that Rick and I discussed, uh, last week. It, it's a movie that, that really gets you into niche movie watching and genre movie watching. And this is an idea that I think we're going to get more into in just a second but we have to take a quick break you are listening to sound on site here on cjlo it's tweet time fridays at eight on cjlo 
What's up, everybody? This is Bill. And this is Chris. From Outside the Cinema. We're here to give you the reasons why you should be listening to Outside the Cinema. One, we cover kick-ass movies. Two, we cover kick-ass movies. Okay, this isn't going to work if you continue this way. Oh, really? I'm not supposed to echo what you say? Three, I'm good-looking. Four, I would agree with that. And five, your life pretty much depends on it. This is Kane Hodder. Keep listening to Outside the Cinema, or I'll kill you. OutsideTheCinema.com. It's on the fucking internet. Outside the Cinema, your source for cult movie discussion. Wanted to sneak some tears for fears in there because I know Al, you're a big fan. I am. Yep, I know that you uh, like. I got a huge tears for fears tattoo right beside a butterfly and two men filleting each other. <laughs> there you go. Uh, which is probably as good <laughs> as good a segue as we're going to get to talk about uh, some other aspects of this movie, like its like its soundtrack. Uh, there's this was maybe one of the first uh, movies of the zeros to feature heavy '80s revivalism. Uh, as long as there are women watching movies, there are '80s revival songs stuck in there. So I don't. I don't think this was oh, the first, Al. And, and nor will oh, it was it the last. Al. No, no, cer- certainly not the last. Certainly there, there's not. like eighties nights at girls' clubs all over the place. Am I wrong? You girls' clubs. Anyway, <laughs> let's, let's just let's just move on. <laughs> uh, speaking of other random things to talk about, this is also the movie that introduced us to Seth Rogen. How random is that? Pretty darned random. And it hadn't. It didn't even occur to me until when I recently rewatched it. I was like, "Oh, thinking there he is." It's yeah, his, yeah. His I feature had debut. absolutely no idea. I was sitting there watching, like, "Wait a minute, that's Seth Rogen." Also, still his most unpleasant role. <laughs> really, uh, really, really unpleasant. Um, <laughs> and a really interesting supporting cast too. We got Catherine Ross as uh, as the psychiatrist. I know it took me like three viewings of the movie to to clue in that that was actually Catherine. Oh, like, oh, that Catherine Ross. Yeah, okay, I guess that's Catherine Ross. <laughs> and how great is uh, Patrick Swayze as uh, as the as Cunning Visions, Jim Cunning, in, in what would turn out to be one of his last uh, substantive roles? Uh, he didn't know that at the time, of course, neither did, neither did we. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> Good that you clarified that. Yeah. None of us had premonitions of Unle- from pancreatic <laughs> cancer. I didn't stare through the weird uh, abyss time loop thing and see his uh, yeah if you were studying the film hard enough you'd have known yeah. um but uh, this is this is something that uh, marie and i discussed elsewhere uh um, well, you guys are just best friends now all of a sudden yeah we we all talk when you're not around yeah, sorry apparently um but uh jake gyllenhaal in this movie is so awkward yeah, not only is he awkward he's not terribly attractive either which yeah. i was funny watching it with my girlfriend <laughs> like what what happened to him did he we're having ended up having this long discussion about how men continue growing longer than women and that's why he had took so much longer to grow into his looks and i guess maybe he got somebody to tweeze his eyebrows finally or something or maybe it was just like i think i think stupid richard kelly i think he was uh, acting i think he was directed to act like a baby eagle for two hours no 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 no. he he was he apparently learned to act from watching vincent d'onofrio in full metal jacket like just (laughs) look down now look up a little there you go and maybe maybe have a little grin. Yeah, that's creepy. 
Yeah. Uh, any any other notable players? I feel like this is the start of many many thankless roles for Jenna Malone. Uh, this, yeah. She kind of got to do a, a lot of like really bland, thankless, like supporting girl roles like this, and then there was like Dangerous Lives of Wasn't Alter Boys. Was she and... like a child star before all this? Yes, this... she yeah. was in. Uh, yeah, <laughs> she was in some movie. She 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 won some award for being a child actress in some movie where she got like something really inappropriate, like she was a child prostitute or something. But uh, yeah, so yeah, even she got thankless roles even as a child. So obviously she's cursed. Uh, but yeah, I suppose. Nobody seems to want to talk about the the cast of the movie. So is there? Any- uh, okay, I'll I'll throw it out there. Drew Barrymore, who produced the film, who then decided to cast herself in a role that was obviously written for somebody much older than her, mm-hmm. um, which she may or may not have been equipped as an actress to pull off. With that very very awkward scene where she's screaming yes. the f word, and then this other incidental character, incidental character, uh, Sharita Chen, who. Again, watching this movie again just bothers me more and more every time I watch the movie. Like that character she, specifically? Yeah, like you're obviously meant to to feel something for this character, but she's just so unrelentingly pathetic. And this stupid speech impediment that makes no sense and like offensive to Asians and it offensive <laughs> to everything to awkward <laughs> teenagers and the earmuffs like what I had to explain to someone about the the earmuffs, and it just blows my mind. What did you have to explain? Well, why does she wear earmuffs? Why does she? Why wear does earmuffs? she wear earmuffs? Uh, apparently, I'm so not she can't. Enough. So she can't hear all of the awful things that people say about her. I, that had actually never occurred to me before. I thought she just wore earmuffs. No, I'm pretty sure that that's why she wears the earmuffs. There we go. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of weird incidental stuff in this I film. Like, I like. I think Drew Barrymore in this movie is. I mean, she's she's boring instead of annoying. So in a way, it sort of shows her range. I don't mind her in the teacher scenes, but I do agree that the that that scene is really quite yeah. Horrible. There was there just wasn't enough leading up to it for it to carry the resonance that it was obviously meant to. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it the last thing I, I guess I want to say uh, about this movie before I I, I we uh, move on because you don't have to move on uh, is I guess the reason the movie sticks with me is I I, I like the way that it treats uh, it, it sort of my interpretation of the movie has always been that it, it has a whole universe that's created. It's like a, it's like if teen angst was plasticine, it, it creates a, it creates a universe built from teen angst and everything is sort of organized around Donnie, the, around Jake Gyllenhaal's character's angst. And it sounds like it should be horribly insufferable. Yeah. My, my take on it this time was that the, the environment that these characters are immersed in is so reprehensible on every level that you, you'd have to be crazy not to disassociate from it. Mm-hmm. Like you can completely understand why Donnie Darko doesn't want anything to do with this because everything's so ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Well, I always took it to be deliberately very artificial and very like very heightened. Yeah, and of course. We, absolutely. And of course we take from, from what we, from, from the end of the film, we take the whole thing to be in taking place in some sort of, some sort of alternate universe in which everything is heightened and i then that's anyway that's what i took from it uh yeah i think i'm gonna stop talking about this now because i could just go on at great length i think i think it's a it's a very very lyrical movie and i think it it works on a lot of levels and and that's one of them it's 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 you know it's it's it sounds cliche but it's you know it's, it's almost poetry it's not the kind of poetry that gets published in like literary journals it's maybe like, like kind, a chat book or something no it's like the kind that's like on scraps of paper outside of drug dens and stuff and like on bathroom walls or or the kind that some high schooler would scribble yeah, in the middle yeah, of the class that, that would that would accidentally be good which mm-hmm. is another thing that 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 I tend to, to right. feel about this movie well, also 
it's a, it's poetry that someone wrote immediately after watching the last temptation of christ incidentally mm-hmm. if you ever it's it's like the it's like pink floyd and the wizard of oz if you queue them up exactly like if you watch this movie right after the last temptation of christ it's exactly the same yeah and it's definitely and also the, watching he's also watching the last temptation of christ at some point that's true uh, and it definitely has well yeah there's he's not watching it but there's, there's a, it's there's a marquee with, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a double it's a double feature the last temptation of christ and the evil, evil dead, dead yeah. which i always <laughs> and the, and the end the ends like the the ending like syncs up almost exactly it's really weird is that so? Yeah, when when like you know when, when in Jesus like he relives his life backwards and stuff, mm-hmm. and he starts laughing maniacally, that they happen. Oh my god, I'm gonna have to try that. <laughs> oh, no, you should. It's it's not. Bad. You, you, you ketamine first. You, you. <laughs> <laughs> Follow to KO. Uh, all right. Well, we're gonna have lots more to talk about in terms of accidents with our ne- with the next movie. But for now, here's some more tears for fears. like Carnival of Souls, The Mole People, Black Sunday, and The Tingler. Do you find yourself late at night reading magazines such as Film Max, Chiller Theater, or Monster Bash? Do you love vintage television programs like Sky King, Outer Limits, and The Time Tunnel? Do you find yourself surfing the net looking for the next monster movie festival or expo? Do you enjoy hearing anecdotes, cinematic details, and unusual insights into some of your favorite movies? If you answered yes to any of the above, you are encouraged to join your host, Vince Rotolo, as he examines some of the latest horror, sci-fi, and cult theatrical releases, new DVDs to add to your collection, and of course, the old classics, both good and bad. He even interviews people throughout B-Moviedom. So tune in to B-MovieCast at bmoviecast.com. I'm going to tell you the story of the journey down the road not taken. This is the way the world ends. 
This is the way the world ends. in the world if everyone just got a little more cardio. You're back on Sound on Sight, and we are in the midst of our special and director, Richard Kelly. You're back on Sound on Sight, and we are in the midst of our director, special and director, Richard Kelly. Let's just pretend that never happened. Uh, now, his second feature, entitled Southland Tales, in its 160-minute form, had one of the most disastrous premieres in Cannes Film Festival history. It prompted a triple-digit walkout, according to most sources. That's not too surprising when you consider that it's an apocalyptic fable of, that it's part satire, part thriller, part musical, and all insane. The plot is impossible to synopsize, but I'm going to give it a shot. The Rock stars uh, mostly by twiddling his fingers a lot as Boxer Santeros, an actor with, quote, ties to the Republican Party in an alternate 2008, wherein a, nucle- a, a nuclear attack, oh great, now I'm George Bush, has changed the American political landscape uh, boxer goes missing, turns up in the desert with no sense of identity, and is sought by a variety of groups, both governmental and revolutionary. Also involved, media-savvy porn stars Justin Timberlake, Wallace Shawn, Wanton Destruction, and Teen Horniness. Uh, where uh, who wants to start on on the on the on the shredding up here? Because I don't think anyone has any I don't. patience. No. Okay, Mariko, you go ahead. Um, I'm, I was just going to start off with a little antidote. Uh, this is not. This was not my first time watching the film and knowing that we were going to be covering it on the show. I was not looking forward to having to rewatch it, but I did like a trooper. However, I I knew I wouldn't be able to devote my entire uh, attention to it. Uh, So in order to relieve the pain of watching uh, this film again, I actually performed and this is true. I performed a bikini wax on myself while watching the film in order to distract myself. (laughs) That's how much I dislike this movie. Which was more unpleasant. Uh, the movie. 
Wow. Yeah. Well, because the movie's yeah. much more prolonged, isn't it? I mean. Yeah, I mean, it's just this quick flick of the wrist, whereas this movie doesn't no, nothing end. Nothing quick about it. It, no. it doesn't end. It just goes on and on. And to think there's a, a version that's 20 to 25 oh minutes longer. Okay, it sounds like, <laughs> Al, it sounds like you have some stuff to say. I, I, okay, listen. Listen to me. Listen to me very carefully, okay? <laughs> like two weeks ago, I went to the theater and watched like a three and a half hour movie about terrorist groups in Japan, the Red Army kind of things in the 70s. And it was 95% of it was crappy old newsreel footage and a guy intoning narrative uh kind of TLC meets A&E meets boring narration over the whole thing. And I sat through that with no, this fucking movie. <laughs> I, I watched it in three chunks. I couldn't, I've never do that. Like I couldn't get through it. It is so unbelievably, unimaginably bad. I don't um, understand what, what I don't understand anything that's happening in this movie. I don't I don't think any, I don't think the director understands anything that's happening in this movie. There, there is all kind like the, the basic plot premise escapes me. Like I don't even understand the setup. Like uh, he dis- <laughs> the rock disappears and then he appears in Nevada and then no does do people know her and then he gets back I don't what the f- <laughs> okay <laughs> so well apparently it's based on this comic book that Richard Kelly wrote no it's based <laughs> on nothing uh, there's like all this supplemental web material but the bottom line is if you can't make your movie make sense you failed end of story yep. I I, um, I completely agree and the other for- thing with it making no sense. Is there so much expository dialogue, and we've got this just like, make sense. voiceover that explains everything, and yet everything that they explain is super boring. And anything that would be interesting, like why do they call California? Like why is the Southern United States now identified as the Southland, which includes California? Like wh- how did that happen? That would have been interesting. I don't. I don't like uh, what I was trying. Well, there's a lot of sputtering going on there. But what I was trying to say is like the not. Uh, you know, it sounds like perhaps there's some sort of esoteric message that I'm missing or something like that, or or a grander meaning that perhaps is eluding me. But I'm I'm talking about specific narrative setups that drive the plot that I do not understand what is happening. I don't understand mm-hmm. who's who, who's trying to do what. And so within 10 minutes, I'm lost and bored and annoyed, and I need to start my bikini wax because something's <laughs> got to distract me from this bullshit. Well, yeah. Well, what's what's amazing to me about, about the film in terms of trying to make sense of it is there seems to be two of every character. There seems to be fake versions of characters. There's, I mean, first you've got a character played by Sean William Scott who may or may not be a cop. He has to play a racist cop, later a real racist cop, or at least a really intense cop, played by John Lovitz, shows up. That's the other thing about this movie, if I could just jump in now, is yes. the casting is so insane. Oh my goodness. Uh, yeah, Christopher like, Lambert as, as an arms dealer. Yeah, got I, Highlander, with nothing to do. Highlander, The Rock, Buffy, Justin Timberlake. It's like it's like the whole movie was written in some sort of bisexual thirteen year old's ejaculate. Like everything that you loved when you were preteen is in this movie. And I was a preteen, and in most cases, certainly my anatomy, I'm still a preteen, and I hated everything about it. How is that possible? <laughs> it's like they, they they practically had like dragons fighting vampires, and yeah, it still it really, would have been boring. It really does feel like it was oh, r- the short story that he wrote when he was fifteen with his friends, yeah. and he was like, "Oh, this is my crowning opus. This is." What what I need to bring to the screen. It's like, and then the new kids no, fight no, sync with you, lightsabers. You, you should have left it in high school, buddy. Really? Like, put well, that notebook away and burn it. There, there are two things worth bringing up. First of all, apparently this movie is the result of the collusion of two ideas that he had. Really, it seems like 27, but 
He was going to make some... Only 27. He was going to make some sort of 9-11 parable movie, and then that didn't really pan out. And the thing is, even by the time it was made, that was kind of old. Yeah, that's true. Um, And with something else, there's that. And then also, the version that premiered at Cannes that was 25 minutes long or something like that didn't have any narration. And And it's worth pointing out, the narration in this movie is probably the worst thing about it. Even, and there's a lot of bad things in this movie, but the, holy crap, the narration, which is by Justin Timberlake, uh, is horrible. It's it's some of the worst narration I think I've ever seen because it, it is it's blandly expository. It doesn't explain anything that we can't tell from. Yeah, I don't even think screen. it's necessarily Justin Timberlake's fault. Who I thought was perfectly fine, perfectly adequate. Yeah, uh, he was mm-hmm. adequate. He certainly fared better than say The Rock, who <laughs> Although, you if- know I think does have quite a bit of comedic talent and you know a, an exceptional presence and he's reduced to running around like a nervous squirrel like it just <laughs> yeah, yeah and doing like the montgomery burns like t- uh, steepling his fingers which looks so strange on such an enormous <laughs> man <laughs> and i guess it's supposed to but yeah and he does it like seven yeah. times uh, you know, what's, what's weird to me is of all the people in this like how is it possible that sean william scott is the best part of your movie how how does that how is everyone so bad how, like how did the black jelly bean become the best flavor you know what i mean i'll tell you how it happens i'll tell you exactly how every other jelly bean is flavored like maggots or vomit or menstrual blood that's how because it is so like everyone is so bad that you're like wow sean william scott is kind of good and then you smack yourself in the eye to try and knock some sense back into yourself actually when i was watching it the thought occurred to me the, the only guy who seems to grasp how ridiculous this movie is is holmes osborne Who's in all three of Richard Kelly's movies? Oh, is that like the dad? He's yeah. Richardson was also lovably yeah. arch, but that's true. But he, but you know, Holmes Osborne is like doing his like his like wide eyed sort of evil thing a lot, and he, he's he's okay. Uh, we've got half the cast of of like this era of SNL and and Mad TV and Mad TV. Yes, that's right. Uh, which I'm sure was deliberate and is meant to be commentary on something. But <laughs> yeah, like I watch him like. I get the feeling like it's supposed to be a comedy or it thinks that it's a satire, but it doesn't actually seem to know what it's no, it, satirizing. No, I'll tell you it's it's a it's a cosmic joke is what it is. You don't put <laughs> you don't put Will Sasso and The Rock and Highlander in a movie w- unless you're mocking God. You know what I mean? Yes, I completely. And agree. he's not he's not trying to make you laugh. He's not trying to make me laugh with this stupid movie. He's trying to make his producers cry or whoever like gave him the money to make this. Speaking of which, how did he get the money to make well, this? Well, Donnie movie? Darko's a great movie. Yeah, but that's how. But 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 how could? Okay, first of all, how did all these? I, I mean, I, I what must have happened is he must have just gone on total faith from Donnie Darko and and just kept everyone in the dark until it was shooting time because well, the there was a script I, here. I I got from the film is that it must have been like really fun to work with. Like maybe that's why he hired all the comedians to be actors in it so that they could just have a great time on on set and crack each other up because. Sadly, none of that translates to the film. No. Like everything's very dour, which doesn't work with this heavy material that doesn't took, actually mean anything. It took me so long to realize it was supposed to be funny. So long, <laughs> yeah, like an hour and fifteen minutes. I, like the third chunk I was watching. Probably it. whenever it was that Sarah Michelle Gellar goes on about teen horniness I, the first time. I guess I don't know. And oh, how and how horrible is is she and her character in this I, movie? Jesus Christ! It's Buffy as a porn star. I should be happy about this. I know that was all I did in high school was pretend that that was a thing. <laughs> <laughs> but Jesus, it was so it was so it's so miserable. This movie. Yeah, it is. It's a completely miserable. And why are experience. the old people young people in bad makeup? How? Wh- 
like it's like, like they ran out of like their effects budget was limited to like you know putting flour in people's hair to make them look old <laughs> jesus yeah this is yeah you know and then the funny thing is i was really looking forward to watching this because it does have a cabal of people out there like like jay alberman and, and other critics i've read who, i i believe uh the the guy on filmcritic.com i forget his name uh chris cabalt or something uh called this a decade defining film and that just boggles my mind. Yeah, I, I, I fully agree with you on that because, again, I heard like most people hated it. Uh, a few kind of like niche or indie critics who are well-respected really liked it. The big names like, you know, uh, Ebert wasn't actually – I don't think – I think Ebert was sick at the time. But, who, you know – Ebert is, gave it a star. I yeah, think. I mean all, all the major film critics, the more mainstream ones, hated it. So it seemed like the, the thing – that I would either like or pretend to like on the radio, so people would think I'm cool. But I can't even do that. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree. It's a it's a total mess. I can't believe. Uh, that although it, it got it's made. interesting, it it itself is gathering its own cult following. Hi, Kevin. Uh, <laughs> does, does Kevin count as a cult? Doesn't there need to be another one of him? <laughs> uh, apparently, his dad likes the movie too. So oh, I guess it's, wow. it's their I, mean, own I guess cult. it runs in the family. Yeah, something like that. Some sort of recessive problem. Um. Anyway, so yeah, uh, Southland Tales. It's a horrible mess that nobody should watch. But it it's kind of hypnotically bad. Like if no. you're, <laughs> no, I had to stop it. I had, I like it's not like I had something else to do. I'm like, oh, I don't Christ, know. I, I got to take a break from this. Well, I also took a bunch of Rabaxaset and drank some whiskey. And it, I think we, I think you found the right uh, the right cocktail there. Yeah, muscle relaxants are definitely in place. Yeah, uh, so that you right can't now. run away. Like um. <laughs> And some kind of mind-altering substance. Yeah, I wasn't on anything. I went to a friend's house. I said, listen, I think this is going to be bad, and I don't think I can watch it alone. And th- that worked. Like, we did get through it, but we both had to resort to doing other stuff to to make it happen. It was it was really rough. It was probably one of the roughest watching experiences I've had yeah. since starting on the show, like, it, almost two years ago. It's unwatchable, in, and not in that sort of, like, the, the people would use that term to describe, say, Antichrist or something that's... It's emotionally or physically difficult to watch. It's just, you know, it's it's just nonsensical it's just and boring. at the And long and, and, and horribly long. And long yeah. and really, really self-important. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think we've, I think we've, we've grown on long enough about this terrible, t- I, it would be appropriate if we went on way too long, but I, I don't mm-hmm. want to give uh, Richard Keller the satisfaction. If you agree or disagree, do send us some feedback at, uh, feedback at soundonsite.org. We will, we will be back to discuss the box in just a little minute, but uh, first here's the Pixies and some messages.
I assume you received the box. I have an offer to make. If you push the button, two things will happen. First, someone somewhere in the world whom you don't know will die. Second, you will receive a payment of one million dollars. You have 24 hours. Did you get a chance to run that license plate number? Hello, Norma. I hope he isn't playing detective. I have quite a few employees. Somebody pushing your buttons? What if you say no? There are always consequences. He's testing you. We have to save your son or your wife is gonna die. How's she gonna die? You're going to kill her. That's the trailer for Richard Kelly's third film, The Box, which we're about to review. But this is his third and probably his most intimate feature, I guess, relatively speaking. And in it, he takes on an old sci-fi trope, the button that makes you rich but kills someone originally conceived in a Richard Matheson short story entitled Button, Button. Predictably, perhaps, that conceit is the launching pad for another of Richard Kelly's sprawling conspiratorial workouts. Cameron Diaz and James Marsden star as a married couple in 1976 Langley, Virginia, who are the recipients of the item in question. Frank Langella plays the mysterious stranger with a hole in his face who hands it to them. Also involved, nosebleeds, lightning, the CIA, malevolent librarians, Viking One, Jean-Paul Sartre, and Arthur C. Clarke. Also nosebleeds. 
Yes, and nose, many nosebleeds. And uh, nosebleeds. Yep. So uh, I guess the... Now, when this movie was first announced, I really was expecting, okay, somebody put him in a corner. He's going to have to just do a straight-up sci-fi movie and deal with it. Uh, that turned out to not be the case. Is he better or worse off? I don't think it was a complete failure. I, I actually didn't mind this film. It, I mean, it's not... It is kind of stuff that we've seen before, uh, even in terms of you know aliens and portals and it's you know kind of stuff he's moral done yeah exactly and you know heavy moral questions but I, I mean in light of uh his last film you know it's it's pretty <laughs> linear it's pretty easy to understand you it's know actually completely he's, linear if you think of it in yeah, yeah, it it all it all holds together. I mean, it's not mind-blowing, but it definitely holds together as a film from start to finish. All right, Al, I I I'm under the impression you don't like this movie. Oh, it's much. okay. Um I it's 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 in the middle. It's 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 this this is why again what I mentioned when I was talking about Donnie Darko is I feel like that's accidentally good because there are the other films in his his canon. I don't know if you can call three films a mm-hmm. canon, but are scatter are scattershot. Southland Tales is terrible, the box is okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's got a, it's. Uh, I love Richard Matheson, um, and uh, he doesn't. I don't. I don't. I don't want to say he does a disservice to the story because the story is eight pages long. It's a really mm-hmm. good story. It's a really good eight page story, but it's not a. It's not a two hour film. So he, do, do you think he does? He doesn't. He does justice to the part of it that he takes from Richard Matheson. Well, he just takes the concept, the, the essential. Some some of the key conceits from the story, and mm-hmm. he, uh, by necessity, he has to build a completely different story from it. So it's it's not really a valid comparison. But uh, you know, he doesn't ruin the the premise. Um, I, I find that the the Richard Kelly parts of it, like his kind of diversions into esoterica, uh, are very boring uh, and uh, jarring when they are in, when they are present in the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and ultimately, uh, it's just it's just okay. It's not it's not bad. There's no there's no parts that fail. That fall flat on their face for me, mm-hmm. like Southland Tales, but uh, nothing that really interested me or hooked me like Donnie Darko. I uh, I genuinely liked the movie. Actually, uh, I was pleasantly surprised by it. It was got a lot of really bad press and a few a few positive reviews here and there. Um, but I, I I did like it. I think what really makes it work, and uh, this is something that was reinforced when I read an interview with him later, was I I like that he he takes this idea that we're all pretty familiar with the whole button issue. And then he transplants it to this sort of write what you know idea. He places it in the town of his uh, where, that he grew up in, and he bases the principal characters Cameron Diaz and Jason Marsden on his parents. And the whole movie does have this warmth that was missing from Southland Tales, and I think was there mm-hmm. in Donnie Darko. Yeah, it, 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 I do like that warmth, and it also also the look. He's got mm-hmm. this really great look. It reminds me a lot of kind of like the Wonder Years with uh, with a little 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 twisted, you know, like it's got this, uh, you know. Something's going wrong underneath. It's like, you know, homemade yeah. apple pie, but there's like worms in it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's definitely obsessed with this sort of twisted suburban setting. Yeah, well, like a lot of... Like I mean, a lot of people. It's, it's yeah, yeah. very familiar, but, you know, it's well done here. Mm-hmm. And also the visual style, I think, is is really nice. Yeah, it, it looks really great. It's, I think it's his first movie shot on digital. I could be wrong, but it yeah, looks and it's, really again, good. Yeah, and again, I don't know if it's the Red One camera, but it's whatever. It's a new generation digital camera. And <clears> so it's among the films that... I was surprised to to find out that it was digital mm-hmm. after. And uh, apparently it was inspired by Zodiac. He saw that and thought, yeah. oh, you can do a period movie on digital. And uh, and yes, and yes, you can. Um, let's talk about Cameron Diaz and her accent. Ooh, <laughs> that should have been avoided. Yeah, uh, that's too bad. That was something that I, that was one thing that pulled me out. That and the, it looks like he brought back the Donnie Darko effects guy. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, who seems to be obsessed with uh, hand sanitizer and how to use that effectively in a movie. To make I think he just watched The Abyss yeah, 20 too many times. times. <laughs> uh, but so, yeah, that's <clears throat> that's a problem. But it's, of course, it's worth mentioning. It's only it was only made on 25 million it is a really, really cheap film. I am hoping that this that we're, we're seeing a wave of cheap Hollywood films, actually, though. Because I, I I like this idea that directors can have creative control if they limit their budgets and present yeah. people with a marketing hook. That's same with District Nine. This isn't as successful as District Nine, arguably, but uh, but I I hope that's a thing that keeps happening. Um, other things I want to talk about. I, I mean, ultimately, oh, Frank Langella, I think is really great. In Frank this movie. Langella should be in everything. Yeah, with that weird digital <laughs> scar, yeah, yeah, yeah. digital chunks missing. Yeah, I like that you can kind of see his jaw. Yeah, his teeth. I feel like his saliv- uh, salivary glands would not be doing well after that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I, no, I really like him in the movie. I, I like the way he sort of alternates between being really passive and then sort of sliding malevolent. into empathy every once in a while and malevolence other yeah. times. And um, the movie briefly shifts into the remake of the day the earth is still. I don't know, it's <laughs> yeah, weird. Um, but I don't know. I, 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 the movie really worked for me. I, I like that it was. I don't want to say it was completely unpredictable, but I uh, but every ten minutes or so, I my jaw would be open a little because he just seems to just go into crazier and crazier directions. But at the same time, he keeps a good enough he keeps pretty tight reins on the movies in terms of its tone that it never goes totally off the rails. Uh, it I, I in a certain sense I agree. I think it it does have a, a mood that uh, that pervades it that lasts from from start to finish, but. Uh, there, there are some 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 issues again. The Richard Kelly parts they don't fit. They 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 match tonally, but not not structurally, not narratively. It's like he's trying to he's got this weird like he's he's trying to tell a linear narrative with his his sort of weird like spiritual ramblings, and it's mm-hmm. like it's like doing math with incense or something. It doesn't work <laughs> a lot of the time. Uh, Mariko, you, uh, yeah, I think I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there. Uh, I you know I, I think Richard Kelly. Th- thinks he's a lot more clever than he actually is a lot of the time um and referencing sartre in this like it's the christmas play at the school it just doesn't make any sense and the other thing i've noticed he, he has a tendency to do is just repeating things over and over again like, like if the you nose didn't catch the third yeah. first time well the nose bleeds and no exit and you know, it was a huge problem in Southland Tales. Like, I guess he did kind of scale it back in this film. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. Um, but the other thing that I kind of noticed um, that's a problem for me is all of, all of his actors are just forced to be so dour so much of the time. Like, you know, there there is a warmth in this film and the connection between, uh, you know, the husband and wife and everything and, and their son. And it, it does feel very genuine, but everyone just has to look so pained all the time. And I, I think that's something that pervades all of his films. And I, you know, I've seen these actors in other things. So I know that that's not, you know, their primary mode of, of expression. So I, I have to chalk it up to the director and his mm-hmm. direction. Um, well, it's because he, he definitely thinks, well, I mean, this is his first movie back in this sort of suburban setting since Donnie Darko. And he clearly thinks of it as this very dour place where everyone hides things and everyone feels, uh, really put upon all the time and obviously that that's where the direction comes from i don't know it, it didn't bother me mostly because i'm whoa i don't know what that was uh mostly because I'm, I'm i don't know i'm comfortable with him in that zone but yeah, I, I see it what bothers you mean. me more as a trend from south on tales and mm-hmm. donnie darko and jake gillenhall's weird <laughs> frowny face i right. don't know um this is probably the first movie where i don't hate james marsden I have to say, usually I find him really, really irritating, and I he's okay, he's all right here. I, I like that. We had Holmes Osborne again mm-hmm. as uh, very Cameron. brief though. I, Fairly I was brief, expecting yeah, him yeah. to do something with that 
plot thread other than have him identify a car by its license plate. Mm-hmm. And I was also happy to see Celia Weston from Observe and Report. Uh, you, um, know, you know what I'm talking about? No. She was uh, Seth Rogen's mom in... Oh, uh, right. Movie. Yeah, of course. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. She was good. She's good. She's <laughs> She's got one of those faces. Uh, you can feel free to finish that sentence if you like. I'm not going to. There's going to be a weird gilf joke, and I don't really feel comfortable saying that out loud. There you go. I don't know. It it worked for me. Uh, I, I greatly enjoyed the girls sitting next the uh, three girls sitting next to me all asking each other questions loudly every five minutes trying to figure out what's going on. Um, and I, I, I hope that uh, it's the start of uh, him making more grounded films, more or less. And I also wanted to mention that I was I was really anticipating it having a total train wreck of an ending. Mm-hmm. And it actually found a decent note to end on. It's it's weird because, uh, I, I, God, he needs to get over whatever problem, whatever issue he's got with Christianity or Catholicism. Like he needs to stop it because it's just pervading all his movies, and it was such a pain in Southland Tales. And here, I, it's also was weird. Like, uh, like the, uh, the the to me, this movie, the ending especially, it's dealing with like the idea of free will versus predestination mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And the afterlife, is, yeah, yeah, plays and, a big role. It doesn't. It, that I had a problem with that, but I guess I also had the problem with Christianity. So there you go. I don't know. T- to me, I, it was I, also I, kind of sexist. Yeah, uh, there, there's in particular. Uh, spoiler alert: we're, we're near the end of the show, so I feel like we we, we can throw a little spoiler out there. With it, no, we'll just leave it at no. It's kind of sexist. I th- I I think we can leave it at that. What happen? And let. Uh, well, I didn't get that. In this, there's a uh, without going into spoilers. There's a scene where well, where, yeah, the idea of why people push the button or who pushes, who pushes the button, the button. Uh, because it's original sin it uh it's yes it's terribly sexist but then again the it source is. material yeah, yeah. that yes. he's pulling from why didn't why do we let like jesus christ you know if, if someone was obsessed with like the harry potter books we wouldn't give them 25 million dollars every 10 minutes to make a movie but someone's got a hard on for the bible they get to make a <laughs> movie about to be fair i didn't think it was anywhere near as oppressively biblical as saying knowing uh you saw that uh, I it, less overtly so, but I, I felt it, it that like in, I'm seeing all these movies in, in the span of or rewatching them in the span of a weekend. Uh, it, there's there's some themes going on here. There are. Needs to, he's he's, to he's got some that. stuff to work out, but I am looking forward to seeing more of Richard Kelly stuff in the future. I feel like he's one of the pseudo Hollywood people working who's one of the more interesting types, and I'm always I'm always going to be following what it is that he's doing. Uh, but we do have to wrap things up because we we have another hour to get to. Uh, so we're going to close things off with, uh, unfortunately, uh, we uh, don't have any of uh, the score, which is done by members of the Arcade Fire. And is, I, re- I really like the score Yeah, a lot. the score is great. I, I really liked it. Also really liked it. And that was really odd for me because I'm not an Arcade. I'm kind of no, but it, it's allergic just a, to, to... It's, s- it's just a good yeah. classical film score. Yeah, yeah. It didn't it, I didn't think it would come from, I mean, the sort of... I, I sort of imagine the Arcade Fire as, as mm-hmm. being the kind of music you have to, you know, grow an ironic beard to enjoy. No, no, it was... And, and they, this was this was great. No, they just pulled out a really nice yeah. classic score. And uh, so unfortunately, we don't have it now, but I do have a song that appears in the film. It's uh, When Joanna Love Me by Scott Walker. Uh, coming up is you guys doing a Richard Stanley special with Rick. You have been listening to uh, Sound On Sight here on... <laughs> I forgot the name of the show. Sound On Sight here on CJLO. Today is just another day Tomorrow is a guess But yesterday Oh, what I'd give 
for yesterday to relive one yesterday and its happiness when Joanna loved me every town was Paris every day was Sunday Every month was made When Joanna loved me Every sound was music Music made of laughter Laughter that was bright and gay But when Joanna left me May became December But even in December I remember her touch, her smile, and for a little while she loves me. And once again it's Paris, Paris on a Sunday. 